0: We were all sitting in a common area at work, about 45 of us. It was another weekly staff meeting, but today we paused from work to stop and listen. Molly was chosen that week to share her story in a Get to Know Your Coworker segment. Previous staff had told their life stories, but today, Molly was here to tell us that one story of her life. That one that we all have, but goes untold that one story that would take incredible courage to tell because of the fear of how it might be received. And everyone in that room was about to walk away, moved beyond words, changed beyond expectations, and finding a part of themselves in a story about a trans child. You could say this was the story that started it all, the story that began the Listen for a Change movement. I'm Tai Chu, and this is Listen for a Change, a podcast featuring stories on social justice from voices often unheard. I started Listen for a Change as a monthly story hour that uses personal narratives to bring perspective and empathy to divided communities. This isn't just storytelling, this is an intervention to restore compassion. Our first official story hour was in 2016 around the time of the presidential elections. Tensions were high and people were seeking out real stories from communities that were at the center of a lot of debate and vitriolic media coverage. In thinking about my first set of storytellers, I immediately remembered Molly's story that day at our workplace and the profound impact it had in opening up hearts and minds. I knew I had to showcase the power of her story as an example of how personal storytelling can truly change the world. Here now, we listen to Molly's story as it was recorded at our December 2016 event.
1: I used to have one of those giant canvas pictures next to my bed. It was a picture of my firstborn. And I would lay on the side of my pillow and look at that picture. And I would see a little boy on the verge of turning two, just barely able to reach the petals on this faded red tricycle. He had the most perfect distribution of freckles across his little nose. He had the most perfect little pink rosebud lips. And I was wrapped around every little finger. And there was nobody that could have told me that that child was not who I thought he was. Like sure, I was open to the idea that he was going to be a teacher instead of a CEO, a skateboarder instead of a librarian. But nobody, and I mean nobody, can prepare you for the moment that you realize that that little boy was born to be a girl. Nothing could have prepared me for the moment that I had to say goodbye to that little boy. And instead, welcome a daughter in his place. I had to replace my dreams and hopes for him with a whole new set of dreams and hopes and like a ton of fear for her. It started really early, like way earlier than you might expect it. Four years ago, we were visiting family, and I watched my then 18-month-old son go batshit crazy over his first discovery of dresses. I watched his head almost spin off when he realized there were fairy wings attached. <laughs> Our relatives laughed, and they took pictures, and they said, oh, these are going to be so great to embarrass him at his wedding one day. And I like laughed along, but I felt this little sense of nervousness arise in myself. And it was because I saw this amount of ecstasy emanating from his face that I had never seen before. It was mommy radar, it was mommy intuition, but I just knew this was different. Between the ages of two and three, it became very obvious that our son was attracted to all things typically reserved for girls. Dress-up dresses, high-heeled shoes, tiaras, wings, wands, anything pink, and then pink, and pink. (laughs) my husband and I now know how ridiculous this sounds but we had real conversations that included the words it's because you coddle him or when he grows up and he realizes that you play golf and you build houses and you play soccer like this this is gonna pass like that's gonna be so cool and this is just gonna go away There was definitely a time that we had ourselves convinced, and we had to, because we were trying to parent this child that was contradicting everything we thought raising a boy would be like. We did everything in our power to try to find something else that would light him up the way a good tiara would. So we filled his life with dinosaurs, and construction blocks, and trucks, and trains, and Bob the Builder, and... He never outright hated any of it, but nothing would light up his life like a princess anything. And my husband and I are now very um, embarrassed that we subscribe to these stereotypes. But day after day, his little boy world would lay there unplayed with and unexplored. And at the same time, I was feeling really lost and sad and confused. And most of all, I felt like I was really failing him. Then came D Day, also known as Dress Day. Mm-hmm. We took a family trip to Marshalls um, to look for I don't know what because we live in the suburbs, so we just go to Marshalls. Without <laughs> <really> <laughs> and it was March. And I quickly realized that in retail terms, March is Easter dress season. And, holy shit, Marshall's takes their Easter dresses really <laughs> freaking seriously. They had a floor-to-ceiling Easter dress display that we all saw at the same time. So my husband and I looked at each other just in time to hear Luke squeal with excitement. At the same time, I was reaching a breaking point. Luke's attraction to all things girl had me questioning everything. I was questioning who I was and who I was becoming. I was becoming someone I didn't know. I had always considered myself a very open-minded, very liberal person, putting human rights above all else. And here I was, who was I? Trying to teach my son what he could and couldn't hold dear to his own little heart. Why was I trying to steer him away from all the things that he loved? On D-Day, I couldn't do it anymore. I was dying to finally give him something that would light up his little face and fill up his little soul. So I told Luke that he could pick his own dress. He chose one with a red sequin bodice and a (laughs) white, tulle skirt and a giant (laughs) red bow in the back. It was the very first dress he called his own. We took it to the checkout counter and he couldn't resist yelling in front of everyone this dress is for me! <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sh- yeah, it's for you, <laughs> This dress became his oxygen and he needed it just to be. He was only allowed to wear it at home. So the second we got in the door, he tore through the house to get to his dress. He would strip off his boy clothes, put on the dress, and he would literally breathe again. The more Luke became aware and found a voice, the more we realized that he wasn't just a boy that was, like, dazzled by all things that glitter. At almost four, Luke was seeing the boxes that society creates for girls and boys, and he knew exactly which box he should be in. And he wasted no time and no tools using every possible way he knew how to tell us. When our youngest was born, he told us he was a big sister, not a big brother. Every show we watched, every book he read, he would point to the main girl character and say, See, Mommy, that's me. He turned every towel and blanket we owned into long hair. (laughs) And in the car he would say, I only want to hear girl songs. Pretty soon it became even more intense with, Daddy, I have a vagina. I don't have a penis. We would correct him and he would argue with us and we would all end up upset and really confused. So one day, after his insistence on being a girl was growing in so much intensity, I brought him to Costco with me, which is another form of suburban entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As I parked, he recognized where we were, and he said, Mommy, they have dresses here. I'm a girl, and I wear dresses. After months of holding all of this in, I felt my world cave in and I burst into tears. And in his most concerned voice, Luke said, Mommy, what's wrong? And I uttered these words. I said, it makes mommy really sad that you wanna be a girl. And to this day, This moment is the lowest point of my mommy career. I will never forget that day. I will never forget what I said. I will never forget that my words even potentially made my child feel like something was wrong with them. What I should have said is your mom's really scared. I'm worried for you and I'm scared to death about what this world might do to you if it feels like you're different than what they say you should be. I should have said, your mom's really confused and I'm not sure how to help you or our family. Obviously all of that would have been over a three-year-old's head. (laughs) But that's really where the tears were coming from, not shame, of fear and like an overwhelming, life-shattering worry about what was happening to my child and the incredibly hard path that might lay ahead for him. I've already promised myself that when she's old enough to understand, I will apologize to my daughter for these words. And I will spend the rest of my days making sure that she knows I am proud as hell to be her mom and that we are in this together. I was crying that day because at four years old, I knew that my child was destined to live a harder life. And how unfair is that? At four years old, he wasn't choosing this. He didn't know the repercussions that would follow him for the rest of his life, just for trying to be who he was. The real truth is that wherever I went, I was really angry and really jealous. I saw families. With sons, I saw mothers and sons, and fathers and sons, and I saw brothers. And I would think, why does your son like Ninja Turtles, and my son like Cinderella, and you get to be normal and we don't? Why can't your family be the one that has to attend therapy groups and play groups for gender creative kids? Why does your daughter get to be a tomboy, and that's totally cool, but my son can't wear a dress without being gawked at? and he's not accepted. By now my husband and I had done a lot of research, a lot of support group attending, some deep soul searching, and a lot of wine drinking. (laughs) With the help of some amazing organizations and professionals like Engender, Gender Spectrum, and the Kaiser Gender Center, we realized that having separate rules when we left the house was forcing, and forcing him to wear boy clothes in public was the same as asking him to cover up how he felt inside. We were sending him the message that he needed to hide who he was, that who he was was someone to be embarrassed about or ashamed of. We still don't know very much about parenting, but we do know this. We will never, we will always teach our children to be proud of exactly who they are and to never be ashamed. So we mustered up all the courage we had, we headed out into the world, holding hands, heads held high, hearts pounding, with our little boy in a dress. We st- he started getting a choice in what he got to wear, and he always chose dresses and skirts. He asked if he could stop cutting his hair, and we honored that request. It really was like he was experiencing the world for the first time at four years old. The more he got to truly be how he felt inside, the more he blossomed and the more he wanted. We sent an email to friends and family announcing our support of our son's gender creativity, and we were very lucky, because we were met with immediate, immense support. We have learned along the way that most families are not. There were, of course, a couple of outliers, people who blamed us, telling us that this was happening because we didn't say no enough, or we didn't set enough boundaries. But I knew they were wrong. I'd spent the last four years, my child's entire life, telling him that he couldn't be all the way himself, setting every boundary I could think of. And all I needed was to look at the light in his eyes and his little worry-free face now and know that we were doing the exact right thing. I took a lot of anxiety-inducing trips to the grocery store and the park with my little boy in a dress. And that summer, only a short year and a half ago from now, we took our little boy in the dress all the way to Ireland. Imagine how fun those lines at the security airport were. My husband is from Ireland, and of all the places on, our, on the planet, our child chose this like presumably conservative island to tell us that he was not a gender creative kid. He was actually born to be a girl. In the purest form of support for Luke, my in-laws prepared for our visit by watching documentaries on transgender children, which is amazing. But when we arrived, they were very proactive in their use of female pronouns for Luke, um, calling him she and her. And I was really surprised and caught off guard because I wasn't ready for that, and we weren't there yet. Um, But Luke did not object. He did the opposite. After our first 24 hours there, we had a moment alone, and he pulled me aside and said, Mommy, everyone here knows I'm a girl. (laughs) My stomach dropped and my heart sank. I'll never forget that moment either. It was the exact moment that I looked in his face, and I realized that I would have to say goodbye to him. I felt the hope that I didn't even know I was clinging to at the moment, leave my body. The hope that I would keep my son forever, whether he was gender creative or not. The hope that his life wasn't heading down a very difficult path. And the hope that he was not indeed transgender. According to the book, The Transgender Child, I'm just gonna read this really quick. Unlike other forms of loss that are socially recognized and acknowledged, the grief connected with coming to terms with your gender variant or transgender child is not culturally understood. Not only do others not understand this grief, but the grief can be confusing to you. Many parents question what right they have to feel as if their child has died when their child is right in front of them. After a day of trying to regain perspective and to process this on my own, I pulled my husband aside for a moment alone. I told him about the conversation with Luke and how I was fairly certain there was a transition happening right in front of our eyes, whether we were ready for it or not. I told him how deathly afraid I was and how I didn't know if I would be capable of saying goodbye to my son. He crossed the living room and he sat down right next to me. He put his arms around me, and in his very simple way, he said, this is who our child was meant to be. It was really that simple to him. And that is why I love him. He balances all this crazy (laughs) (laughs) by being beautifully simple. Early in our parenting journey, he struggled right along with me. And he definitely had his own bouts of sadness. But he's never grieved the loss of our son the way that I have. And that's only because he truly believes our son was never born to be our son. He wonderfully and warmly accepts our daughter without question. He embraces her in all of her girlness with his open and perfectly strong arms. Thank God for him and those strong arms that I know my children and I will be able to fall into whenever we need them, because we are going to need them. When we got home from Ireland, We spent a few rocky weeks trying to work through a new name. This, again, was a really hard thing for me. I felt like giving my child a new name was the final piece of saying goodbye. But I also knew that a name was the biggest gift I could give my daughter to make herself feel whole. My husband and I offered a few options each and presented her with a list of names that we approved of. This was because she wanted to name herself after Barbie movies. (laughs) How do you name your child with your child? Hmm. Let me tell you that there is no handbook for this. On the way to her first day of a brand new summer camp, anyone know about summer camps in here? (laughs) I tried again and I reminded her that they are going to have name tags at camp. I said, you can either have your name tag say Luke, or you can try a girl name. And immediately she said, I want a girl name. And I was like, oh crap, because I wasn't really prepared for that answer. Um, So I ran through that list of approved names, and she said no. (laughs) Then out of the blue, she said, how about Gracie? And I said, okay, Gracie. And I knew she'd seen it on a show the previous weekend, but I didn't know it had stuck with her. And I immediately remembered that when I was pregnant with her, before we found out whether it was a boy or a girl, my husband wanted it to be a girl so he could name her Grace. So I thought to myself, well, I know your dad will approve. (laughs) So I said, okay, I like Gracie. Do you want to try it? She said, yep. Are you sure? Yep. We walked hand in hand to the first morning of camp, and luckily most of the camp staff was already prepped for her situation, and they had actually had the idea of her trying a new name at camp where she had new friends and could have a fresh start. I said, hi, uh, it's our first day here. We're gonna need a new name tag already. She doesn't know how to spell it or write it, and I'm not sure she's even gonna respond to it, but (laughs) we're gonna try a name today.
0: This amazing human being looked at me and said, don't worry, we've got this.
1: Thank God for amazing humans, right? (laughs) I watched my four-year-old daughter, who had never been left anywhere outside of her very familiar daycare, walk bravely into camp. Not only was she being left somewhere she'd never been left before, but she was doing it as a whole new person with a whole new name. She was getting to be her whole self for the very first time. I watched her and thought about how brave she was without even knowing it. I was so in awe of her strength, her years of insistence. She never backed down until she made sure that she was heard. She walked right up to those kids and said, My name is Gracie, do you want to play with me? After trying to slightly watch her, for what I'm sure the staff thought was a very uncomfortable amount of time, I got into my car, and I called my husband, shocker, I cried, and I said, I think we have a daughter named Grace now. And in his beautiful, simple way, he said, really, that's great. I counted the hours until I could get to her that day and hear about her day. I picked her up and got a note from her leader that said, Gracie really embraced her new name today. She introduced herself to everyone with it. And I sighed a relief that I think could be heard in Texas. <laughs> I asked her in the car on the way home, okay, do you want mommy and daddy to call you Luke at home or do you want us to call you Gracie or, or like, where are we? And She said, Gracie. And she has never looked back. Just like that, after years of questioning, researching, falling apart, trying to be brave, letting go of expectations, and growing well beyond our comfort zones, we found the meaning of unconditional love. And we found grace. Today, we are the proud parents of a beautiful daughter who just turned six. She's a shining light in our family and she literally sparks a smile wherever she goes. She has that same perfect distribution of freckles across her nose. She has the same perfect pink rosebud lips. And I'm wrapped around every finger. I'm done working working on trying to figure out what made her this way. And instead I'm working really hard to figure out how to keep that magical twinkle in her eye, no matter how different she is. We're navigating kindergarten, the public school system, sports leagues that require birth certificates to sign up, dance class leotards, play dates, <laughs> and learning to have to apply a lot of extra forethought to things that other parents don't. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out how to make sure she feels as safe to be herself as possible Does this mean living privately in our community so that she can have as normal a childhood as possible? Does it mean being out and proud and advocating, finding safe people and places that understand and accept her for exactly who she is? Unfortunately, we don't know the answer. There's no right one. We're still learning, and we're letting Gracie help to guide us. We are so incredibly proud to have a transgender daughter but I still wouldn't choose this path for either of my children, only because I know society's not quite ready for them. This journey isn't all activism and empowerment and bravery and waving rainbow flags. Sometimes it's those things, but sometimes it's really dark and scary. Sometimes it's suicide statistics, it's stories of self-mutilation and hormones depression, anxiety, and social outcasting. Your gender is your identity. It is your core. Slow down one day and ask yourself, with each new thing you buy, each conversation you have, every activity you partake in, how much of how you walk through the world is guided by the gender that you identify with? What if your body didn't match? How would you feel? My hope is that someday this story isn't told because it doesn't need to be. In this fantasy, children are not introduced to boxes that they have to fit themselves into, and gender is recognized as the spectrum that it is. But for now, I hope by telling this story that anyone will be able to find parts of themselves in it. Especially because right now, in the landscape of the world, as we are all human beings, Fiercely loving our children is one of our only universal truths. It's one of the only things that we can agree on. Thank you.
0: Since the live recording of this story, a lot has changed for Molly and her family. Molly continues to share the story at conferences and in interviews, and she and Gracie are working with teachers and parents to raise awareness at Gracie's school. All right. right. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Quiet on set. (laughs) I caught up with Molly at her home in the East (laughs) Bay Area while her daughter and her son were playing around in a pool in the backyard. (laughs) Okay, Molly. So as you know, there are many issues associated with growing up trans that may be over a child's head. How do you openly discuss these issues with your daughter?
1: Um, That's a really hard question because what we've learned so far on this journey of her transitioning at four and a half and now being seven and a half, really only being three years in and being really young, is that... We don't often know the right way to say things or where her head is or um, how much she can handle to understand. And we walk the fine line of teaching her that the world (laughs) is a wonderful place to live in and people are genuinely kind and understanding and compassionate. And then there's the needing to teach that not everyone is going to accept you for who you are, which I think every parent has to encounter at some point, but we have quite an added just layer to that, I guess, or a really heavy layer to that in that we have to teach her that um, who you have been your entire life as a child and who we taught you to be proud of is not generally accepted on a wide level across society and that's not something that every parent necessarily has to deal with Um, so how we do it is really a matter of I don't even know day by day and kind of issue by issue and encounter by encounter but We try to just really, really drive home the point of you are who you feel you are inside. We love you unconditionally. And the people that matter will feel the same. And who doesn't feel the same doesn't actually matter. And as you know, that's a hard lesson to teach a child because who matters to them um, are their friends. And as that gets older, that gets even more intense. And, yeah, I don't... The hard part of this journey is literally the fact that there's no right answer. There's no, like, one way to do it. Every family does it differently. Um, We have a lot of families. We know that their child chooses to live very privately, and we have families we know whose child lives very openly. And it literally, I think, is dependent on how they feel in their communities and how they feel they would potentially be accepted in their community or not be accepted in their community.
0: In your story, your husband sounds like he just accepted... Gracie's journey every step of the way. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about him? Was there ever a moment of deep confusion and questioning on his part?
1: Oh, uh, absolutely. I think early when this was all happening, we, were, we both went through really, really profound moments of questioning what was happening. Um, and he absolutely came from the lens of sort of that typical masculine ideal of, like, this is my son, and he will ultimately, I think he was always open to, like, you know, if my son grows up to be gay or anything like that, I'm totally on board, I will support them 100%, but when your child is going to change genders, it's like this whole other ball game it's like they're changing who they are in their essence or who you thought they would be in their essence Mm -hmm. and that is very different from them than them declaring I'm going to be attracted to someone different than you thought I'd be attracted to it's very very different and sometimes I get frustrated when they all get lumped together (laughs) but so as much as we were open-minded, we were not open-minded, and we struggled, and he had a ton of his moments where he was like, nope, mm this isn't happening, no, my, my son is not wearing a dress for Halloween, no, these clothes are not allowed outside of our house, like, we all have boundaries, and this is, I'm, and it was all from... It was all from the lens of protection. And so even when we decided to... We went through a long time. So when we decided to let who we thought our son was, like a gender-creative son, which we didn't know was fully transgender, when we let our son wear a dress outside the house and we let them paint their nails or wear glittery shoes outside of the house. That was a really, really hard time for my husband because he was on just red alert. So it had nothing to do with I'm embarrassed of who my child is. It was all about if one person says something or looks the wrong way, mm-hmm. I'm literally terrified that I'm going to like unleash myself on that person. Right. So it was way more about like how do I handle myself with any sort of obstacle or adversity instead of like, oh, I don't want to accept my child for who they are, it was more like how do I protect them from what the world is going to do to them.
0: Was there ever a specific incident that you felt attacked or not supported by someone either a friend of yours or within the family, that you expected or maybe not expected, but had hoped that they would have reacted differently
1: um yeah, I think when we were
0: you don't have to say any names of course no
1: and <laughs> <laughs> put people on blast um when we were first realizing that we were going through an actual gender transition, um, you know, we were in Ireland or whatever, and we came home and had to sort of re-face life with a whole new family, really. And... Because at
0: that point, during the Ireland trip is when your family had or at least you had made that switch over, correct?
1: Correct. We had changed uh, pronouns and sort of had for the first time acknowledged that our child was not who we thought they were going to be and that they were a completely different identity. Um, and we accepted her for for who she was on that trip and came home resolved to really live her truth. Mm -hmm. Um, But we had to go back to preschool. We had to go back to our friends and family and uh, preschool was tough. So as much as we tried, we, the director of the preschool at the time was kind of like, Oh, yeah we can do this but like if it requires me to read anything I don't want to have to do that Mm. like that's out of the scope of what I need to work on and also um over uh, we gave it probably about a month and over that month there was an incident where (laughs) they came up the staff came up to me and said well Actually, I think what had happened is I had to go to them and say, hey, um, our kid says that you're still calling her by her old name. What is going on? And they were like, well, you know, the kids are struggling a little bit to say the new name. We think that maybe the old name could just be like a nickname. Oh. And I was like, mm <laughs> not really how this works. And I could tell just in that moment that there wasn't really going to be like a significant shift. Like they weren't going to guide the rest of the kids in that shift. They weren't going to really mentally make that shift. So we decided to shift preschools and just give Gracie a fresh start. And it was a really great decision. Um, she really got an opportunity to blossom and just really live who she was for a good, um, I think she lived for like eight months before she decided that she wanted to talk about it to her preschool class. Um, And so that's a whole nother story, but um, that was one of the most kind of adverse moments that we encountered And then I think even leading up to that, there were family members that I would approach that I felt really close to and just say, like, I think there's something going on with my kid. Like, here's all the research I've done. Here's what we're going through. And they were just like, you know, you don't say no enough or you don't like, you don't set enough boundaries, and, like, you know, most of the people, like, you know, this is just a phase, and nobody, I, would, I won't say nobody, but I will say that most people didn't totally know how to react, which is fair, because we didn't know what the heck, but in that moment, you just want people to tell you that it's okay to let your child be who they are. Right. And we didn't... We got some of that, but not a ton. So we were getting a lot of mixed messages, which made it even harder to kind of find that resolution, I guess you could say. Was all of
0: this, I guess, um, behind closed doors? None of this ever made it to your daughter, did it? Or do you think she picked up on some of it? I mean, obviously the preschool stuff.
1: Yeah, I'd say she picked up on the preschool stuff, but the pre-work, no, she did not pick up on Um, we were doing just a lot of that inside she I mean to be honest I think she would pick up on our energy because we would have a lot of arguments where she would be like I'm a girl and I have a vagina and I and we would be like no you don't you have a penis you're a boy like we literally had those arguments they were mostly in the bathtub yeah and it would be like I look back and I'm Horrified.
0: Well that's typically not something parents have to
1: No, but fight it's with like, like we had about. no idea how to answer her when she would say that. Right. And so we were like hearing all these voices that said like it's a phase, you don't say no enough, da da, 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 da. and then we would hear the psychologists and those people would be like, follow her lead, da-da-da-da-da, do this, do that and It was tough. We didn't know what the right answer was. And that's why I continue to feel strongly about telling our story just because the families of these young kids, we're in the Bay Area and that was still happening. And so I don't even, I mean, the families all across this country that are raising these kids just need to know that, like, just listen to them. That's all you have to do. And, like, they know what what they're telling you is true and it's right, and if they change their mind, so what? You will still be there when they change their mind. You will still be there and you will recover and you will be their, just be their safe space.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's all you have to do. And you don't have to get it right the first time. You don't have to get it right the 10th time. You just have to keep showing them that you're trying and that you are figuring, out, figuring it out with them and you hear them. That's all. And that's what I wish someone would have stepped up and said.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're glad that we have your voice and your story to help, to help <laughs> others out there. Um, speaking of your story, it's very moving. It's very emotional. It's very impactful. But it's also not complete, right? It's an evolving story. Every single moment of every single day you're encountering new challenges and new difficulties, but it's unique because we've captured the story that you've told up until this point in a way that you can share with others and also one day Gracie will be able to listen to that story herself. And so I wanted to ask you, um, speaking directly to Gracie, is there anything that you would like to say to future Gracie that, you know, if oh she God. listens to this story and oh. this podcast one day what uh, do you want her to know
1: Ty are you for real that's a really oh my gosh I'm clearly obviously a very emotional person and so
0: <sighs> whatever you feel I comfortable I mean I sure.
1: have like thought about Future Gracie, and how obviously close we're gonna be, and how obviously, like, she's totally gonna get it her whole life, how much I just love and support her, um, even though I know that's a fantasy, and teenagers don't care and don't get it. (laughs) That's not true. She's gonna love you forever, you're (laughs)
0: never gonna fight.
1: She's never going to leave me. Both my kids right. are going to live on my street. Dating and, is not yeah. going to be a thing.
0: No. Puberty, not going to happen, right?
1: How? Yeah. So, But
0: pretend you're talking to 18-year-old Gracie. Wow. Okay. Graduated high school and now gets to reflect back on this moment that you've encapsulated about your family's journey and about her journey. And she has a voice and she has her own story. What do you want to tell her?
1: Oh, my gosh. I don't know how eloquently... I will be able to do this, but I want her to know that no matter who she is, as long as she is kind and as long as she is brave and as long as she fights for herself, I am proud of her. I love her more than I could ever describe in words. There's no part of her, no matter who she turns out to be, that I could ever not love or be ashamed of. I just love her unconditionally and her dad does too. We've talked about it. We want to shape her to be the best person, but we already know that she's amazing. And I just want her to know that this journey that she's taken us on has made our lives more profound. And we are grateful. More than any feeling we have, we are grateful. And as much as the start was rocky, we are here and we will fight literally to the death, for her and her brother. And we hope that she can grow up in a world that's accepting and that she can help shape that world for other people. And... We're we're in it for the long haul. We're here, no matter what.
0: Thank you for that. And I'm sure she'll really appreciate hearing that one day. So as you know, we ask each of our storytellers to choose a nonprofit organization to represent, to raise awareness for, to raise some money for. And you've chosen In gender based out of here in the Bay Area to represent. So can you tell us a little bit more about Engender and what this organization does and how they've helped your family in your journey so far?
1: Yes, I would love to talk about Engender. Um, So Engender was founded by a woman, but also in conjunction with several moms who... Basically, it was born out of a play group that was born out of a parent support group here in the Bay Area, and it has grown and grown and grown in numbers of kids and families that need support, and so it encompasses the Bay Area, it encompasses the South Bay, and um, it runs parent support groups, kids support groups, uh, play groups for the young kids, and uh most importantly a uh r- summer camp like a summer day camp for these kids their siblings their allies
0: yeah. um and gracie just finished a gracie oh, just at that camp, finished right?
1: a week at that camp it's her third year um and i think it's the third year that the camp no fourth year that the camp has existed because uh, we did miss the first year and Um, it's like just, I mean, the most, I don't know how to describe it other than like legitimately magical in that you see these kids who go the entire year. A lot of them go the entire year, not being able to truly be themselves. And they go to this place for a week or two or three, it goes three weeks right now, um, And they literally just get to be who they are. And they get to breathe. They get to learn about all of the different facets of gender. Um, They get to be whatever name they want to be or whatever pronoun they want to use. Whether that changes while they're at camp or it's what they are coming to camp with. Um, And they get to learn about each other. And they get to learn just what it means to find community in this journey and like the relationships that Gracie has made in these playgroups and at the camp are literally just going to be imperative in her journey. As far as being able to be like, I might be the only kid at my school, but I have all these other kids that I know that are going through the same thing at the same time in other schools around the Bay area. And we have each other, and we can connect whenever we want. Um, And for that, I'm just, like, insanely grateful. I'm constantly insanely grateful for living in the Bay Area and having these resources in our backyard. Um, But what I hope that people know is that this is not something, like, we are a, I use normal, like, in quotations, but we're just, like, a, any other suburban family out there, throwing our kids into the public school in the neighborhood. And we, this happens to families all over the country, all over the world, and very different cultures treat this very differently. But here in America, it's treated like a disorder or a disease or they're disabled and they need they need and require different services and that's true to some degree but if we could normalize this from a younger age for all kids then as they grow it's not it's not a big deal and they grow and they just accept people for who they are and how they feel inside. And that's my kind of, I guess, dream for the world and why I tell our story and why I advocate for young children, transgender or non-binary children, because often this is seen as a, a teenager or an adult issue, and I just like to advocate for the kids.
0: Thanks for listening. If you liked our show, be sure to check out listenchange.org to find our next in-person story hour and learn more about our storytelling workshops. And please, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Our production team for this episode is David Scott, Gloria Martinez, and Isaac Silk. I'm Ty Chu, and remember, a story untold is simply a thought. Where's Gracie? Should we find Gracie? Yes! I know where she is. Let's go find Gracie. Hi Gracie. Hi. <laughs> and what, do you, what did you do today? Um, <clears throat> so
1: I went in the pool for a little bit. Yeah. And um, I mostly went on my power wheel today, which is like a car that kids can go into and drive.
0: Very cool. Wait, did you say your name? Can you say your name in here? Gracie. Can you say, hi, my name is Gracie?
1: Hi, my name is Gracie.